Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with a programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, voyaging 907 nautical miles in the seas around the coast of Ireland on a boat more suited to inland waterways. The couple who did it tell us how and why they made the voyage. I think just the need for patience and not making rash decisions, being happy to say we're not comfortable with going out in these conditions and waiting for the opportune um, moments. We don't want to put ourselves in a position where we feel frightened and scared that is going to put us off. So we, we wait and we, we try to be patient and wait for the weather opportunities. And the huge migration that's heading for Ireland. People might be watching out for the first swallows, but something much bigger and more important is happening in the seabird community. What is less well known, however, is the huge seabird migration that is also underway, hidden from the eyes and ears of most. Manx shearwaters will shortly begin streaming back to their nesting burrows on our offshore islands, coming to land only under cover of darkness, having spent the past few months foraging at sea off the coast of Brazil. Tiny European storm petrels, oceanic travellers scarcely larger than a sparrow, will join them, nesting in whatever suitable nooks and crannies they can find, such as in the walls of the beehive huts on Schellig Michael. This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, a reflective radio show about the sea, coming to you from the studios of CRY 104FM in Yole on the East Cork coastline and bringing together through the community radio network the maritime community around Ireland. From the tiniest of seabirds who are amazing oceanic travellers, only the size of a sparrow, and they cross the oceans, to the oldest, 70 years of age, birds which once followed fishing boats from Iceland to Ireland. This is the huge seabird migration now underway to our island. An amazing time in nature, as Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland tells us. This is an exciting time of year for nature enthusiasts, and especially for bird watchers. The birds that travelled here last autumn to spend the winter with us are due to depart for their more northerly breeding areas any day now, and the first of our summer migrants have already begun to trickle in. The traffic will continue to increase during April, until by May all of our breeding visitors will be here and all of our winter migrants will have gone. The arrivals and departures of many of our land-based migrants are well documented and widely known. Many people keep a keen eye out for the first swallow of the year, for example, and soon national newspapers will publish letters from readers proudly proclaiming, I've just heard my first cuckoo of the spring. Is this a record? What is less well known, however, is the huge seabird migration that is also underway, hidden from the eyes and ears of most. Manx shearwaters will shortly begin streaming back to their nesting burrows on our offshore islands, coming to land only under cover of darkness, having spent the past few months foraging at sea off the coast of Brazil. Tiny European storm petrels, oceanic travellers scarcely larger than a sparrow, will join them, nesting in whatever suitable nooks and crannies they can find, such as in the walls of the beehive huts on Schellig Michael. More conspicuous will be the fulmers, North Atlantic wanderers that greatly resemble gulls, but which are utterly unrelated to them. They are more closely affiliated to the albatrosses, and have the distinction of being the longest lived of all Irish birds. It is common for fulmers to live, and even to breed, well into their 70s. 
Now a common sight around much of our coast, it is hard to believe that these birds have only been part of the Irish avifauna since 1911, when the first pioneers appear to have followed fishing boats that visited Icelandic waters back to their home ports. It also won't be long before our breeding auks, those penguin-like black and white birds that carpet our cliffs and sea stacks each summer, return to nest. The common guillemot and the razorbill are the most numerous, breeding in colonies that number thousands of pairs, but the most famous and popular member of the auk family is the puffin. Having spent the past six months bobbing about on the waves of the mid-Atlantic, it is almost time for their surging hormones to force them back to their coastal burrows to nest. One of the noisiest residents of these vast coastal seabird cities is the kittiwake, a small and graceful member of the gull family that is named for its distinctive call, a wild, raucous kittiwake, that for me has long been my favourite summer soundtrack. In recent years, this species has experienced catastrophic breeding failures at many of its colonies in the North Atlantic, especially in Scotland and Norway, so the still healthy Irish nesting populations are of growing international importance. At sea, or along our coastline, do also keep an eye out for migrant songbirds. Every year, a handful of exhausted, often bedraggled warblers, thrushes and vireos from North America accidentally find themselves making landfall on our western headlands, oil rigs and coastal vessels, driven off course by weather or inexperience. They originally set off in search of the West Indies or South America, and that any of these tiny creatures at all managed to make it all the way to Ireland is testament to the resilience and fortitude of birds. How many, many more of them must perish en route, unseen and unremarked upon? Sailors are often the very first to spot our regular returning land-based migrants too, as many fly in low over the sea or even stop on vessels for a brief respite. Birdwatch Ireland, together with its BirdLife International partners across Europe, Central Asia and Africa, is running a special project called Spring Alive to track some of our most familiar and important migrants, namely swallows, swifts, cuckoos and sand martins. If you happen to see or hear any of these birds arriving over the next few weeks, please take just a few seconds to log them for us at www.springalive.net. Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland reporting from their headquarters in Kilcool County, Wicklow. And that email address again to report the arrival of our seabird migrants is springalive.net. And another reminder where birds are concerned, and they are vitally important to nature, about hedgerows. It's estimated that hedgerows cover approximately 1.5% of the land area of Ireland, and the close season on cutting them lasts until the 1st of September. And that's under the Wildlife Amendment Act 2000. It recognises the importance of conserving hedgerows because they're important in maintaining wildlife diversity and in establishing wildlife corridors, particularly for birds. Now Justin Marr runs up other maritime news from at home and abroad and reports on the finding of one of the oldest boats in the world. One of the most elusive boats from the ancient world mysterious river barge that Greek historian Herodotus described nearly two and a half thousand years ago has finally been discovered. Herodotus dedicated 23 lines of his Historia to this type of boat known as a baris after seeing the construction of one during his travels to Egypt in 450 BC. In his writings Herodotus described how the long barge had one rudder that passed through a hole in the keel, a mast made of cassia wood and sails made from papyrus. Modern archaeologists had never laid eyes on such a boat until the ancient sunken port city of Thonis Heraclion was discovered on the Egyptian coast in 2000. It had more than 70 sunken vessels, dating from the 8th to the 2nd century BC. Now archaeologists have identified after intensive research that one of those boats matched the description of the Barris. 
Sightings of the Koipu, known as the Nutria in the United States and regarded as a destructive invasive species posing a threat to the stability of river, lake and canal banks, have been reported on the Royal Canal at Ashtown. It's a large invasive rodent species that is highly damaging to river, lake and canal banks. Described as large river rats, they are also said to possibly carry diseases communicable to humans and domestic animals. Waterways Island reported the sightings. Eradication programs can be costly and not always successful. The last report of those rodents was in Cork two years ago, when a number were trapped by the National Parks and Wildlife Service at the Karaheen River, a tributary to the River Lee. The new sightings have raised concerns that they might spread on inland waterways. Professor Louise Alcock, head of zoology at NUI Galway's Maritime Ryan Marine Institute, who has led deep water surveys to investigate corals and sponges in the Atlantic on the RV Celtic Explorer, is second in command on the Necton First Descent Mission, which has been carrying out research in the Seychelles intended to inform science and government policy on a range of issues from conservation to climate change. The research team carried out their first crude dive to the twilight zone of the Indian Ocean, where sunlight barely penetrates, using crude submersibles and ROVs to explore marine wildlife and plant life at depths of up to 500 metres. Sensors were used to collect data on even further depths. Sky News and Sky Atlantic broadcast live from the Necton mission as part of the Sky Ocean Rescue Initiative. A marine engineering traineeship The first of its kind is to be started as a pilot program in September in Tralee in County Kerry with the aim of attracting young people into the marine industry to address skill gaps that existing employers within the industry are experiencing. It will run for 32 weeks with nine weeks of work placement and is being coordinated by Kerry Enterprise Training Board with full funding and no course fees and lead to a City and Guilds Level 2 certificate in marine construction, systems engineering and maintenance. A dead whale that washed up in the Philippines had 40 kilograms of plastic bags inside its stomach, researchers have said. Workers at Dubon Collector Museum recovered the Cuvier's beaked whale east of Davao City early in March. In a Facebook post, the museum said the animal was filled with the most plastic we have ever seen in a whale. There were 16 rice sacks in its stomach, as well as multiple shopping bags. The use of throwaway plastic is a particular problem in some Southeast Asian countries, including the Philippines. Five Asian nations, China, Indonesia, the Philippines, Vietnam and Thailand, accounted for up to 60% of the plastic waste that ends up in oceans, according to a 2015 report by environmental campaigner Ocean Conservancy and the McKinsey Centre for Business and Environment. In June last year, a pilot whale died in Thailand after swallowing 80 plastic bags. Finally, Europe's first underwater restaurant has opened in Norway. Under, which also means wonder in Norwegian, is located on the country's southern tip and is submerged in the North Sea. The restaurant already has 7,000 customers booked in. There's room for around 40 guests in the underwater dining space, which provides ocean views through one giant glass window at the back. The seas around Ireland are very challenging, so when I heard that a 37-foot motor cruiser, 41 years old, used on the inland waterways, had voyaged 900 nautical miles around the coast of Ireland over a nine-month period, I thought that was an amazing achievement, which is what Paul Scannell and Mary Healy, the couple who did it, 
did it with a small, small boat of 37 feet when you think of it. But they described their voyage anyway to Irina Setkovich of Catalonia Community Radio. They were the first at the Irish Sailing Conference in Lochree Yacht Club who'd ever done such a voyage. And Paul bought Arthur the boat on which they made their voyage. I bought a, a boat in Holland in uh, 2006 and then I retired from work in 2007 and I took up boating for the first time. Prior to that, all I had ever done was three rental weekends. So now I had a new boat. My family didn't quite, uh, were, weren't quite enthusiastic about sailing. So my good friend and colleague uh, from work, Mary Healy, joined me and we became a team on Arthur, our Broome Ocean 37. And initially we cruised on the inland waterways here in Ireland, including Loch Ree, Loch Derg. And then every summer we started to go down the coast, just initially to as far as Kilrush, and then to Fiennes, and then to Dingle, and then we started to go further. Mary, how was that experience for you? What was your previous sailing experience? And tell us a bit more about the boat itself. Uh, I didn't have any previous boating experience. I was raised near Loch Cullen in County Mayo, so I would have done a little bit on angling boats, but just on the local freshwater lake. Um, in terms of Arthur, um, 37 foot, 41 year old, Broom Ocean 37. Um, it has a very spacious saloon area and it has a um, forward cabin and a cabin to the stern and a nice little galley area where we have our, uh, cook our meals and look after ourselves in that respect. The boat was designed for coastal cruising, although it's primarily been used on the inland waters, but it is a, a coastal cruising capable boat. And we had been cruising down the coast for the previous 12 years. And this year, Mary, or last year, I should say, Mary retired. So it meant for the first time we didn't have to be back home by the middle of August and we were able to continue. So we planned it during the winter of 2017 and we set out on the 27th of June and we cruised down through Ardnacrusha, in past Limerick, down to Kilrush, and then we set out on our coastal cruise on the 27th of June from Kilrush, and we went along the southwest coast from uh, Kilrush to Dingle, from Dingle to Lawrence Cove, from Lawrence Cove to Shirkin Island, from Shirkin Island to Kinsale, from Kinsale a short little hop up to Crosshaven, and then a long hop of 70 nautical miles, about eight, nine hours, to Kilmore Quay. And now we were on the southeast coast of Ireland. And then we hopped up along the east coast to, first of all, to Arklow, and then to Hoth, and then up to Northern Ireland, uh, up to Bangor first, and then round to Ballycastle, and from Ballycastle to Portrush, and then Portrush to Loch Swilly. And now we're almost on the, the northwest. So rough spot there because you've the Atlantic comes in and it pummels the entire west coast, uh, western seaboard. So it's a different kettle of fish as far as the sea state is concerned, much rougher. So we just were patient. We waited for the right weather to come. And then we went from Loch Swilly to uh, Gola. And we spent a night on a mooring buoy in Gola. And from there then down to Killybegs. Now we got caught in Killybegs for about four weeks because we didn't get the weather that we were comfortable with. So we just bade our time. And then eventually we went from Killybegs to Broadhaven Bay. So we stopped on a mooring buoy in Broadhaven for one night and then we went down to Inishbofin Harbour and from there the following day we went to Rosseville where we stayed for two weeks and then we did a long 70 mile journey from Rosseville down past the Cliffs of Moher, 
down round Loophead, up the Shannon Estuary and back into Kilrush Marina on the 24th of September. So we covered 907 miles, we did 19 passages and it spanned an entire 90 days, but the 90 days included four weeks in Killybegs, two weeks in Rosseville and 10 days in Fawn and Locksville. Mary, most impressive things from this unusual voyage? Um, I think the people that we met along the way, the, um, the generosity, the welcome, just the camaraderie, the so made to feel so welcome in places that we had never been to before, but also renewing acquaintances with people we have made friends with over the last number of years. Um, up to this year, the farthest we had been to was Kinsale, so anything after that was new people, new experiences, but lovely to meet the friendships, the people that we had friendships with for the last number of years as well. So what do you know now more about sailing? <laughs> oh, um, plenty, and I think just the need for patience and not making rash decisions, being happy to say we're not comfortable with going out in these conditions and waiting for the opportune um, moments. We don't want to put ourselves in a position where we feel frightened and scared that is going to put us off. So we, we wait and we, we try to be patient and wait for the weather opportunities. The most impressive scenery, Paul? Oh, there were so many. Uh, Fairhead was absolutely gorgeous. The 640-foot cliff face just as you go around the top of um, Northern Ireland and Broadhaven Bay at 10 to 7 in the morning with the gorgeous colours in the, the skylight as the, the sun starts to rise. Um, Rosseville, when we were departing at about 10 to 7, again, another gorgeous sunrise. There's so many, but those are probably three that stick out for me. One of the things that we really love um, is when we experience dolphins along our passages. And we have this... Um, feeling that once we see dolphins we're going to have a safe and um, good good passage so it's always nice to see the dolphins and we saw dolphins several times particularly just as we were entering Broadhaven Bay and that's that nice little feeling that you think from the experience you've had dolphins are there we're going to be safe and all's going to be well okay we heard about nice things was there any time that you were really frightened about the condition Malin head it will sh send shivers down our spots for the rest of our lives. No, it was uh, Inishtrahull Sound uh, as we were passaging from Portrush to uh, Fawn on Loch Swilly. Uh, it's not a very long passage, but it takes you through uh, what's called Inishtrahull Sound. And Inishtrahull Sound is noted for rough weather. Uh, the day that we set out to make that particular passage, it looked like the winds were low, seven, eight knots, gusts may be up to about 10 and within what we define as our comfort zone that seemed okay but the wind was coming from the west we were coming from the east and unfortunately behind us was the tidal stream so now it was an occasion of the tide meeting the wind and when we got to Winnish to Hull Sound the waves suddenly became quite large It wasn't a pleasant experience a little bit fearful but within a short period of time you could learn that the boat was capable of what it was having to endure and that gave a little bit of um, ease, well, relative ease. <laughs>
Mary Healy ending the story of the voyage of Arthur, aboard which she and Paul Scannell voyaged from inland waterways to the coastal waters of Ireland. A wonderful achievement on 37 feet of boat, more suited to inland waterways. Now we head to the offshore islands of this island nation to hear from Rhoda Twombly, Secretary of Kogol Ilon Naheran, the Islands Federation, about that organisation's annual meeting on April 12 and other news from the offshore communities. The theme of the meeting is the Irish language on the islands, keeping living communities on the islands as key to the future of the language. As well as the formal AGM, confirmed speakers are Minister of State Sean Kine, Eamon O'Queeve TD, the Irish Language Commissioner Ronan O'Donnell, as well as Dahi Moore, an expert on the Blasket Islands. Dahi will give a talk on what happened on the Blaskets in the 20th century and ask the question, what lessons can be learned from their decline in keeping island communities viable? There will be open discussion on this topic, as well as other issues and challenges facing our islands. Please see the Kogo Facebook page for details. Big congratulations to Bear Island Radio, who had its first live three-hour FM broadcast the 24th of March. The podcast is currently on the Bear Island Community Radio Facebook page. They also broadcast Mass on St. Patrick's Day around the island on FM and around the world on the Internet. Bear Island people listened in Derry Crevin to Ardaha, from Australia to Argentina, and from Adira to Malta. Walking, running and adventure events are starting up again on the islands. Clare Island's 10K Walk Run is now well established and is a great supporter of Cancer Care West. Saturday the 6th of April is race day starting at 1pm. Tea, coffee and refreshments are available to registered participants before and after the event, so see clareisland.ie for details and registration. Mark your calendars for the Clare Island Singles Adventure Weekend as well. May 10 through 12th will see the island alive with all manner of activities, live music, local food and all-around crack. The big running event on Inishir is on April 13, Easter Saturday. You have a choice of three races, the 16K Adventure Run for the Fit and Hardy, the 10K Road Run, or the Twisted 7K Run, which is full of hilly terrain and grassy byways and celebrates the seventh year of the event. Exciting to note that this year, the festival is being run by the island secondary school students as a business project. All the best of luck to them and the participants. See discoverinnisir.com for all the details. Inishbofin holds its annual walking festival the 26th through 28th of April. Whilst there, you can enjoy not only stunning walks, but learn about the local built and cultural heritage and join a trip to Inishark. I'll report on the AGM, plus lots more events, in my next Islands News contribution. But for now, it's Sloan from the Islands. Next, angling on the rivers, lakes and estuaries of Ireland and the latest news reported by Miles Kelly of Fisheries Ireland. We're into April now, and as water temperatures continue to rise, fishing of all colds is picking up. Salmon are being reported from a good number of rivers and lakes. Loch Curran, the Lowne, Killarney Lakes and River Flesk, and the Feel and Kerry are all off the mark. In Cork, the Munster Blackwater and Lee have reported fresh salmon. While up in Connemara, Loch Ina, Kylemore and Delphi are producing fish. Over on the east coast, 
the Boyne has seen at least one salmon cotton released, and of course there are still fresh fish coming from the Moy and the Drows. A new initiative, the National Salmon Scale Project, needs citizen scientists to help collect data which will help researchers understand the challenges which salmon are facing today. The National Salmon Scale Project aims to collect vital information through fish scales taken from angler-caught salmon and sea trout. Scales are a fascinating record of a fish's life. One scale can reveal their age, where they've travelled in the vast Atlantic Ocean and the experiences they had along the way. Why not mark International Year of the Salmon by playing your part in contributing to our knowledge about Ireland's most iconic fish species? With the right information, we can help salmon navigate the environmental changes and human impacts which are contributing to their decline. You can find out more at fisheriesireland.ie forward slash salmon scales. Staying with salmon, Inland Fisheries Ireland is inviting expressions of interest from suitably qualified individuals to become members of fishery district committees in the following fishery districts where commercial salmon fisheries exist. Lismore, Cork and Kerry in the southwest, Balnakil and Bangor in the west, and Ballyshannon and Letterkenny in the northwest. Interested individuals should be one of the following a commercial salmon fisherman, a rated occupier of a fishery, or a salmon angler. The primary purpose of the fishery district committees is to advise how the available salmon surplus should be divvied up between commercial and recreational sectors on each fishery. If you are interested in becoming a member of the fishery district committees and want to find out more, visit fisheriesireland.ie. In other angling news, charter fishing from Wicklow has seen some great catches recently, with a good number of specimen-sized spur dogs caught and released. On the other side of the country, good fishing for pollock and coalfish was reported by charter anglers on Galway Bay. Pike anglers enjoyed getting amongst some of the bigger fish coming up to spawning, but as ever, once the fish were focused on reproduction, they became almost impossible for anglers to tempt. Trout anglers have been getting some decent fishing on Loch Sheelan, where fish to 8 and 9 pounds have been reported. In County Cork, some beautiful trout have been caught on the River Bandon, and the River Bride is also fishing very well. Finally, we had some great angling on Inniscarra Reservoir recently, where catches of roach, skimmers and perch saw weights to over 30 kilograms returned in festival fishing. Good fishing was also reported from venues all across the island of Ireland, including the Barrow Canal, Lanesborough, O'Brien's Bridge, Loch Mucknow, and the River Ban. Well, that's all for me this week. Safe fishing to all, and don't forget, CPR saves fish. Miles Kelly reporting. In our next edition, the president of the Irish Institute of Master Mariners, the professional body for ships officers, tells us why seafaring is an attractive career. I think seafaring, you know, opens up so many opportunities. Uh, certainly today's uh, watchkeeping officer, whether it be engineering or deck, um, there's so many challenges. It's such a varied uh, career. There's a huge selling point. There's a good salaries. Captain Paul Roach will discuss seafaring on the next edition of this island nation. The maritime programme produced at CRY 104FM Yole on the East Cork coastline. Production and technical supervision by Justin Marr. This island nation is broadcast nationally through the community radio network around Ireland in Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. On Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. In Clare on Radio Cork of Bashkeen and in Limerick on West Limerick 102 FM. And there are podcasts on iTunes, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and the Marine Times website marinetimes.ie. There's a special edition also for visually impaired listeners in association with the National Council for the Blind. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. 
and you can contact the programme on email to thisislandnation at gmail.com or by phone or text to 0872 555 197. That's email, thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone or text 0872 555 197. This Island Nation blog is published on our Facebook page every weekend. Until our next programme from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing.